0: And turn with me to the book of John once again, the Gospel of John, the third chapter. John chapter 3, and we'll be reading verses 1 to 8. And when you get there, we would invite you, if you are able, to rise out of reverence for God's holy word. John chapter 3. Verses 1 to 8. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these things that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, Well, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit... This is the word of the Lord Jesus Christ. You may be seated. Father God, as we open your word to, to mind the depths of his truth, and as we specifically look at the teachings and the words of our Lord, I pray, Father, that not only my act of preaching, but all of our acts of receiving your word would be an act of worship this morning that we would push aside anything that might distract us from knowing you through your word this morning. Fix our eyes upon you, O God. Fix our eyes upon the Lord Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit in this place. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, over the last few weeks, we've been asking this important question, how is a person saved how does a person come to God and we've seen through the teachings of our Lord that humans in their natural fallen state can do absolutely nothing to save themselves they cannot move themselves toward God they cannot come to God indeed they don't have any desire to come to God But why is that? Well, it's because sinfulness comes from a source within the person, from inside the heart. Because everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Because sin makes a person spiritually dead. Because the flesh can only produce more flesh. It cannot do anything spiritual that pleases God. But the awesome and amazing news of the gospel is that while we as human beings were totally unable, the triune God was completely able and mighty to save. While we were enslaved and dead in sin and couldn't do a thing to change our situation, it was the living God who rose up off his heavenly throne to act in salvation. For as we have seen Each member of the Holy Trinity has a key role to play in the salvation of the sheep. God the Father elects the sheep. God the Son atones for the sheep. And God the Holy Spirit gives new birth to the sheep. The Father chooses them. The Son gets bruised for them. And the Spirit woos them. And their work is in perfect harmony and it's never at odds with one another for they are working together to save a particular people that are God's very own. And so a couple of weeks ago, we saw how the Lord Jesus talked about the Father electing the sheep, especially through this language of the Father giving the sheep to the Son. And then last week, we saw how the Lord Jesus talked about giving his life as a ransom for many, that as the good shepherd, he lays down his life specifically for his sheep that he knows so intimately. And now today, we're going to look at the work of the third member of the Trinity, the work of the Holy Spirit, for he is the one who applies salvation, This is the fourth layer of brick in the pyramid that we are building together as the Spirit works together with the Father and the Son to save their flock. The Holy Spirit is the one who begets the sheep. He is the one who takes the costly atonement purchased by Jesus Christ on the cross and he applies it to the sheep that the Father has chosen. So the Spirit is the one who gives spiritual rebirth. He is the one who opens blind eyes. He is the one who enables an enslaved and dead sinner to come to Jesus in faith and repentance. And the question before us today is this. Can a person resist the Holy Spirit's call on his or her life? Can a sheep who has been chosen by the Father and atoned for by the Son, can that sheep refuse the Spirit's life-giving power? Can he or she say to the Spirit who is calling their name, Thanks, but no thanks. I choose to stay blind, enslaved, and spiritually dead. Please leave me alone. Well, we just sang that hymn together, and can it be? And let me read to you the third verse that we sang just a few minutes ago. The third verse went like this. It said, Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. Quickening means life-giving. I woke The dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. This is such a beautiful picture. I love that song. I love this picture. It's a beautiful picture of the Holy Spirit freeing an enslaved and spiritually dead prisoner to sin. But our question this morning is could the person in this song that prisoner, could he have chosen just to roll over and go back to sleep? Could this prisoner have chosen to snap those chains back on him and refuse to leave his dungeon? That's our question. Or when the Holy Spirit gives that life-giving ray of light That not only breaks the chains, but also transforms the heart from bondage to freedom. Is it necessary that the prisoner will and must rise, go forth and follow Christ? That's what we're asking today. Well, this morning we're going to look at just two passages in the Gospel of John to see what the Lord Jesus taught on the work of the Spirit in salvation. And so first of all, we will see our, our first point this morning is they will come to me from John chapter 6. And then the second point, the spirit gives spiritual birth in John chapter 3, the passage that we just read. And so we begin our study with our first point, they will come to me by looking at John chapter 6. We've actually looked here before in the last several weeks, so these verses should be getting a bit familiar now. But we start in verse 35. John six thirty-five says, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. Let's go through these six verses one by one quickly. In verse 35, the first verse there, the Lord Jesus talks about hunger and thirst, which we understand are just two sides of the same coin. We need both food and water to stay alive, don't we? So hunger and thirst are two ways of talking about the same thing. But Jesus, of course, he's not talking about physical hunger here or physical thirst. But he's talking about spiritual hunger, spiritual thirst. Only he, as the bread of life, can satisfy spiritual hunger and quench spiritual thirst. But let us notice something else here. If hunger and thirst are two sides of the same coin, then that means that from this verse, coming to Jesus and believing in Jesus are also two sides of the same coin. To come to Jesus is the same thing as believing in Jesus. And to believe in Jesus is the same as coming to him. So that means a person cannot approach Jesus without believing in him. And conversely, a person cannot believe in Jesus without at the same time coming to him. And this is important to realize. Because in the following verses, Jesus is going to talk about people coming to him. But as we understand verse 35, we know that he means coming to him in faith. Coming as they believe and believing as they come. And so verse 36 says, But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. Just imagine that scene for a moment. Here Jesus is looking directly in the eyes of the unbelieving Jews who are standing all around him. And they are looking into his eyes. And he declares that they have seen him. They have witnessed his mighty works and his miraculous signs. They have heard many of his teachings. They have seen his compassion and his righteousness. But none of this has done them any good. They have seen Jesus, and yet they do not believe in him. They have not come to him in faith to satisfy their spiritual hunger and thirst. Seeing Jesus does not save anyone. Jesus was seen by many people throughout the course of his ministry. And merely laying eyes on Jesus didn't save anyone. Even following along and walking with Jesus as one of the larger group of his disciples, that didn't save anyone either. For at the end of this chapter, at the end of chapter 6, as we shall see in a moment, many of Jesus' disciples stopped following him after he says all these things. So walking with Jesus as a disciple, that doesn't save anybody. But even being part of Jesus' own inner circle of disciples, being one of the 12, that doesn't save either. For Jesus knew all along that Judas did not believe and that he would betray him. So seeing Jesus, witnessing his deeds, listening to him, walking with him, none of these things saves a person. So what then saves a person? Believing in him, coming to him in faith. But none of these Jewish people standing around Jesus have believed in Him, even though they've seen so much of Him. So how then does a person come? Or how then does a person believe in Jesus? And the Lord answers in the next verse, verse 37, which is our key verse for our first point. He says, All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Ah, well here we learn who will come to Jesus in faith. Every one of the sheep that the father has given to Jesus. If the father has given a a person to his son as a sheep, that person will come to Jesus no matter what. And when Not if, but when they come to Jesus, believing in him, he will never cast them out, he says. He will never let go of them. He will never get rid of them, for they belong to them. They belong to him, rather. He owns them. They are his special possession. To get a sheep out of the good shepherd's hand, you'd have to pry it from his cold, dead fingers. And that's never going to happen because he is alive forevermore. In verse 38, Jesus then doubles down by saying that this is not just his will, not just his plan, not just his mission. No, he is in harmony with his Father's will and plan and mission. Verse 38, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. The good shepherd is not going to lose any of the sheep his father has gifted to him. They belong to his dad. How could he possibly lose even one single sheep his dad has lovingly given to him to watch over? He is going to watch over the sheep until the very end of time when he raises up every single one of his sheep to the resurrection of eternal life on the last day. The Father gives them. The Son keeps them and preserves them. And the Son will bring them home to glory. Verse 40, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. This verse is an echo of John three fourteen to 15 The verse just before the most famous verse in the Bible. Remember what Jesus said there? He said, just as Moses lifted up a bronze serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must also be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. It's not enough to see Jesus. A person must look upon the Son hanging upon the altar of the cross in faith and believe that the son's sacrifice applies to him or her and wipes out their debt of sin before the holy God. This is what a sheep does, given by the father, coming to the son, kept by the son, raised to eternal life by the son on the last day. This is the will of the father. But how does this happen? How does a sheep raise its head out of its sinful filth to look upon Jesus in faith hanging from the cross. Well, this is where the third person of the triune God comes in. Further down in the passage, about 20 verses later, in verse 60, we read this. It says, When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you are to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it would be who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. Verse 63 there, the Lord says, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. So it is the Holy Spirit who is the life giver, the spiritual life giver. It is the Holy Spirit who opens the blind eyes of the sheep who unclogs their ears to hear the call of the Good Shepherd, who brings a heartbeat to their stony, dead hearts to rejoice in the voice of the Good Shepherd, who raises up their heads to lift up their eyes to gaze upon the Good Shepherd hanging upon the cross in faith, who leads them in, coming to the hand of the Good Shepherd for safekeeping. That's all the Spirit's work. But look at what the Lord says next to these disciples who are angry with what he has said and are turning away from him to leave. He says, the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. And so the Holy Spirit is literally spilling out of Jesus' mouth as he speaks. His utterances give spiritual life. And yet, some do not believe. Why? Verse 65, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. The Father chooses who he will send the Holy Spirit to and who he will not send the Holy Spirit to for life-giving power. How humbling it is to realize that. I am not the hero of this story. I'm actually the bad guy. The criminal, the terrorist, the rebel, the hero is the triune God. And thankfully, he didn't kill me. No, he transformed me. He turned me. He cleansed me. He reformed me. He made me new. He saved me. Isn't that an awesome hero? He's a hero who saves the bad guy. God could have left me in my filth and in my sin. He could have passed me by and been perfectly just to do so. For I deserved no good thing from Him. But instead, He chose to give me to His Son. And He granted that I would come to Jesus in faith through the Spirit who gives life. And so our first point this morning is that every chosen sheep given from the Father to the Son will necessarily come to the good shepherd in faith, and he will never let him go. And we've also seen that it is the Holy Spirit who is the life giver, who is instrumental in bringing the sheep to Christ. And this becomes even clearer in our second passage today, John chapter 3, that the Holy Spirit is the one who gives spiritual birth. Let me just read it again, starting in verse 3 of chapter 3. Jesus answers Nicodemus here. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Now, you might think to yourself, this sounds familiar. Didn't we read this passage a couple of weeks ago? Yes, we did. We did when we were looking and seeing that man is rotten to the core. And the key verse was verse 6. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. And at that time, we emphasized the first half of that verse. Today, we'll emphasize the second half of that verse. The flesh cannot do what is spiritual. It can only produce flesh. More flesh and nothing but the flesh. Flesh cannot cross over to produce what is spiritual. Flesh cannot please God because only what is spiritual is pleasing to him. For a man or woman to do what is spiritually pleasing to God, he or she must first be born again, born from the Holy Spirit. None of us here, if you think about it, none of us here caused our physical birth. We had no say in the matter. We had no choice in the matter when we were born. We were just born. But Jesus is saying here that the same thing is true of our spiritual birth. We had no choice or say in the matter. The Spirit is the one who gives us spiritual birth. And Nicodemus, he's so confused here because he's locked into this idea of physical birth. But Jesus is teaching him about spiritual rebirth. No, Nicodemus, you don't go back into your mother's womb to come out again. It is the Holy Spirit who gives new birth to a new creation, a new self, a new person who worships God in spirit and in truth. The Lord Jesus explains this spiritual rebirth further in verse 8. He says, The wind blows wherever it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives new spiritual birth to his people, and he is free to go where he wishes and to touch whom he wishes. And to bring spiritual birth where he wishes. You can't see the wind, but you can see the effects of the wind and hear the whoosh of the wind as it passes. But you have no idea where the wind came from or where it might end up going. The wind just does what the wind does and it flows where it wants to. And the Holy Spirit of God acts in a similar way, Jesus says. You don't know what he's doing, where he's going, but you do see his effects as he does his work of giving spiritual rebirth to the sheep that the Father has chosen. Just like a tornado, a tornado that that touches down to destroy one house while leaving the neighbor completely untouched. The Holy Spirit touches down to give spiritual birth to one person in spiritual life and freedom and sight, while leaving the next person untouched, enslaved, dead, and blind. If you are a genuine believer in Jesus Christ here this morning, a sheep who belongs to the Good Shepherd, the reason that you have come to Jesus in faith is due to the Holy Spirit touching down and blowing up your life. One day you were in your flesh. You were just minding your own business. You were loving your sin. You were worshiping yourself. You were blind and dead and enslaved to sin. And then the Holy Spirit of the living God came down like a tornado and pointed his divine finger at you and said, Be born again and live and the scales fell off of your eyes, and the wax dropped out of your ears, and your heart started pumping, and spiritual breath filled up your lungs, and white wool started growing out of your skin, and you began to bah! (laughs) The dungeon was flamed with light, and your chains fell off, and your heart was free, and you rose, and you went forth, and you followed the good shepherd. Here, here, is the triune God saving His people. The Father elects them. The Son atones for them. And the Spirit brings them in. The Father chooses them. The Son gets bruised for them. And the Spirit woos them. If you are not a believer here this morning, then I exhort you, go home today and Beg God to send his spirit to give you new birth, to open your eyes, to give you a new heart, to give you faith in Jesus Christ. Beg him until he does it or he brings his judgment upon you because it's all up to him. If you are a believer here today, and understand that your salvation is completely by grace. From grace to grace, all of grace. There is no room whatsoever for your boasting. Not in your good works, not in your obedience, not even in your choosing, Jesus. Not even in your faith. There is no room for boasting. God chose you. Choose Jesus. God opened your eyes to look to Jesus. God gave you the faith to believe in Jesus. And this is what grace, what sovereign grace, is all about. God gets all the glory, and you and I share in none of it. We just get to sit back and praise Him. And thank Him and adore Him and exalt Him and glorify Him until our throats seize up and our voices fail. And we look forward to that glorious eternal day when our throats will never seize up again and our voices will never fail so we can worship the eternal God with joy forever and ever. Let us pray together. Father God, we are so thankful for your work of salvation, your mighty work of salvation in saving a people for yourself. And as we've seen, Father, how the triune God is at work together to save their sheep, how you, the Father, elects them, how your Son has atoned for them, and how Your Holy Spirit has given them new birth and brought us home. And Father, as believers, we get to bask in that glory. We get to step back and say, wow, that's incredible. If God hadn't chosen me, if Jesus hadn't died an atoning sacrifice for me, if the the Spirit hadn't given me new life, Oh, I would be lost. I would still be in that dungeon. I would still be a prisoner. I'd still be enslaved to sin. And so all the glory for your grace, oh God, goes to you. Where we recognize that you are the one who has done everything on our behalf. And so as your people, our response is a response response of thanksgiving. To just sit in your grace and marvel as we gaze up at your face to say you are an awesome God. You are our Abba Father who has done everything that we needed for our salvation. And yes, did we come to you? Yes, we did. Did we put our faith in you? Yes, we did. Did we choose you? Yes, we did. But only because of the Holy Spirit giving us the ability to do so. Only because of the Holy Spirit flowing like the wind and according to his will giving us that new birth so that we could rise from our chains with a renewed heart and turn and follow you. Thank you, O God, for your precious truths found in your word and in the teachings of our Lord. And Father, may we not be like those disciples around Jesus in John chapter 6, who hear what they think is a hard saying, something they can't accept, and then from then on they stop following Jesus all because they didn't get to hear what they wanted to hear. Let us be rather like the 11 true disciples who told Jesus, we have nowhere else to go. We belong to you, Lord. Father, help us to grow, help us to know you more. As we leave this place, may we take this truth, a precious truth, into our lives to know that everything we have and everything we are in Christ is not because of anything that we've done, but it's all because of your grace. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.